You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin and JT English. Hey, before I jump into talking about what we're going to be talking through on the show, two announcements for you. The first is that Knowing Faith will be doing a live recording at Proclaim Truth Conference. Uh, Proclaim Truth Conference is, is a gathering of women who gather together to be encouraged and equipped in the calling to cultivate a deeper passion for knowing God and making Him known. And it's not too late to register to attend for Proclaim Truth Conference. It's happening right here in D. If you are a woman in a ministry position or a woman wanting to grow in your ability to effectively disciple others, you're going to want to check out this conference. So we want to invite you to join us at Proclaim Truth Conference. And we have a discount code, uh, all caps, knowing faith, one word, knowing faith. You can use that code and get $20 off your current registration rate for a Proclaim Truth Conference. That's the first announcement. The second announcement uh, is that in the spring, starting in February, knowing faith will move towards weekly releases. So we will be doing weekly releasing of Knowing Faith episodes in February, March, April, and May with some special things planned for the summer and then going into the fall, continuing to do weekly releases. Uh, We heard a lot of feedback from people who were like, man, we want this show to be coming out weekly. And so we've listened and we're excited to get to offer that in the spring going into the fall. But on today's episode, we're talking about the incarnation, the, the, the Christ event when the Son of God took on human flesh and entered into the world. Uh, We spent a lot of time talking about Advent because it's the season that we're in as we recorded the episode uh, and when the episode was released. And so we hope you enjoy the discussion. All right. Well, um, we're headed into, gosh, we're just days away when this podcast releases from Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry, Cri- Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It does feel premature to say that in Advent, though. <laughs> <laughs> Merry, Merry, Merry Christmas. <laughs> um, uh, have, have any of you begun to receive any gifts? Um, well, I don't know if we can count it as a Christmas gift, but I okay. certainly have received a gift this week. Okay, tell us about what you got, Jen. Yeah, so I get this box in the mail at my office, and uh, bonus points because my name was spelled correctly on the label, which, which sometimes doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, it, it contained, um, actually contained an electric toothbrush. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay, but... At first I thought maybe it was from you, Kyle. No. <laughs> no. Um, living on that church plant life now. <laughs> I could buy you a manual one. Um, yeah. uh, so why would somebody send you a, an electric toothbrush? I think that this kind-hearted person who listens to the podcast had a, had a concern for my oral health. Right, because you have thrown shade on electric toothbrushes. Well, I feel like I just gave an opposing view. <laughs> I feel like that is the way I would state it. Yeah. I think you came out pretty strong. I think you used dirty money, clean teeth. You talk about how I the, forgot about the that. electric toothbrush industry was in cahoots with dental uh, hygienists. I did suggest a conspiracy Yeah, theory. you suggest that dentists uh, yeah. are profiting. Yeah. So this guy's probably part of it, but you want to hear what he said to yes, me? Yes, he, he couldn't just send me the toothbrush, which, P.S., by the way, Stephen, I am grateful, and I will definitely try it out, and I'll let you know in January. <laughs> It'll be one of my New Year's resolutions, because those always go great. Yeah. Okay, so here's what he says. He says, um, hey, Jen, he says, I've been thinking deeply about you because... Um, 
an, an electric toothbrush is juxtaposed to your go-to scripture of Romans 12, 2, which is, you know, right. the heart cannot love what the mind does not know is where I sort of riff on that. He says, I uh, hope this is helpful. He says, according to studies, after three months of use, people um, who use electric toothbrushes see their plaque reduced by 21% and gin divided by 11%. Okay. So that's, Those are good numbers. It's good numbers. He says, now your mind knows... So your heart can love. Oh, yeah. Hope you enjoy it. It doesn't have the bells and whistles like JT and Kyle's, but you seem like you don't need gimmicks <laughs> Come to <on>. be fulfilled. <laughs> I love that he burns you with your own line. He, he burns you with your own burn. It's pretty great. Yeah, it was well done. It really was a nice looking Plus, I got this really great toothbrush. Yeah. Uh, well, what are we, uh, <laughs> Philip Sonicare Professional. Yeah, not a sponsor of the not show a yet. Yet. Of the show. <laughs> One day. <laughs> I was hoping somebody was listening. One day, we're going to get those toothbrushes. <laughs> yeah, so that's from Stephen in Arkansas. Stephen, thank you. I'm going to try my best to uh, embrace this new world. Yeah, and also just uh, this is first off, Stephen, yeah, this was well played. Uh, but we also want to just give a qualification. We're not asking the no. folks of Knowing Faith to start sending start us. Sending no, us. we're good. Um, yes. So uh, you can you can keep your swag, uh, send it to somebody else. Uh, we will though if you work with Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> we, if you if you're an employee with Phillips or the company, I'm sure the monopoly that owns Phillips, which is probably some huge transnational coming out again. Yeah, <laughs> transnational corporate organization, uh, and you work for Phillips and and you want to send us Sonicare toothbrushes. Once a year. Once a year. Take twice a year. Yeah. Do they wear out? Well, you have to, you have to replace heads. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's just like you have to get a new toothbrush, Jen. This is not a magic go. toothbrush. Oh, you get a new toothbrush. No, no, no. You just get a new. Well, you've gotten wait, a new one. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Tell me you haven't been using the same toothbrush. I'm kidding. Okay. I'm mostly kidding. Um, okay. Whew. All right. Well, we are in it. Um, Hang on. Do you know I've never had a cavity? Wow. Just thought I'd throw that out there. That's Have you gone to the Steven. dentist to check? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, that's impressive. Uh huh. I think it is. Um, <laughs> now, what are you going to say? I was, I was going to quote Jesus that. in the Pharisees that it's not like what goes into somebody that makes them right. unclean, but what comes out of them. Right. Um, but we're going to move away from that. <laughs> um, well, listen. Today we are talking about the incarnation because. It is, I guess when this podcast releases, it will still be the Advent season. And we will be wrapping up Advent, moving in to actual Christmas celebration. And so uh, if you're not familiar with Advent as a concept, it might be good to start there because it, I think that's the tact I want to take in talking about the incarnation. Um, we're going to get into some of the doctrinal issues associated with that. But since this podcast is going to be coming out during Advent, and maybe you're, you hear people, Advent has become... Uh, It's a season that the church has historically celebrated, but in recent years, I think it's gained some attention again. Mm -hmm. It feels like more churches, especially Protestant churches, are willing to like lean into. And our church is one of them. Right. We're doing Mm -hmm. the same thing. People of Mosaic, shout out. I love you. (laughs) We're in the Advent season right now. We're doing Advent stuff. Uh, And what is Advent? Like, it's probably what we should start. Like, what is it in the life of the church? And then maybe kind of big picture thematic 
So it's a, it's a part of the broader church calendar. It's just a season within the church calendar that means coming, where we both uh, look back to Christ's first coming, but we look back in order to remember forward, and we look forward to his second coming. We just are reminding ourselves that he came once and he's going to come again. So it's an opportunity for the church to uh, consider Christ's first coming and then his second, but to build some instincts in us of patience mm-hmm. and waiting and expectation that the one who came is going to be faithful to come again. Right. And um, the church typically tries to pull its life into that remembrance and rehearsal through the four Sundays that precede uh, Christmas. Christmas, yeah. Um, And so this would be this year, it's December 2nd through December 23rd. It's those Mm -hmm. four Sundays. Uh, Some churches do shorter runways. Some churches do longer runways. But it's typically, traditionally, it's those four Sundays. And a lot of times, the the songs that we sing in that season are different. They're songs of expectancy. Uh, A lot of times, the readings, the scripture readings, the passages, the story that we're telling. A lot of churches will break away and do something different for those four weeks. There's a lot of different ways that churches play this out, so to speak. But the whole hope is that the people are pulled into Israel's waiting for the first coming of the Messiah that we see in the story of the scripture, but then also that that enables them to now kind of feel this expectancy and longing for Christ's second coming, right? That's right. Yeah. Did, did you grow up with Advent? Um, I grew up with, no. I would say I did not grow up with Advent as like a word or phrase, but we grew up with the preaching ministry. So I grew up in a church where my father was the pastor right. and his preaching ministry would shift in this season to preparing for Christmas. I think we were in a heavily Roman Catholic area uh-huh. of Texas. And so anything that like had that edge to it, we typically, right. You went the other way, typically stayed away from, even yeah. if it was just the terms. So, but I did grow up in a home that was very much for preparing yeah. for Christmas. Hmm. Did you grow up with it, JT? You Well, since I didn't really grow up in the yeah. church, the only time that I would come in and out of the church was maybe a week or two before Christmas and then Christmas and a week or two before Easter and Easter. Mm-hmm. And so I, it wasn't like it was the only, I guess I would say it was the only season I ever did experience, but it, I could never juxtapose it against any other Anything church else. season <laughs> because that was just what, all, all I really knew. Yeah. yeah. And I've been reading a book in recent days that's really confronted a lot of the ways that I feel about Christmas, uh, or excuse me, feel about Advent. Um, it's this book by Fleming Rutledge. It's just called Advent, The Once and Future Coming of Jesus. And it's exceptional. Um, and she's, she's done a lot of great work, but this is another great example of her good work uh, on the concept of Advent. And she talks in there, uh, she quotes Alden a lot, W.H. Alden, who was an English poet, mm-hmm. and then quotes this line from Karl Barth a lot. And Barth says this, uh, what time can or will the church ever have but that of Advent? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times we think about, okay, it's these four weeks that prepare us for Christmas. But really, the Advent season in the life of the church is just there to pull us into how we're supposed to be living all the time. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. good. Which is the tension between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. Right. And so uh, it's this spirit of Advent uh, characterizes the waiting of Israel. And I think maybe to tie us into the story and get us closer to the incarnation, the first coming here, which is what we're talking about today, uh, I think would be good to maybe set a little bit of the narrative stage around Jesus's first coming, the son of God's incarnation in Jesus Christ. And, um, and so the first advent, so to speak, what is some of the things, what are some of the things that are happening 
around the birth of Jesus. Like culturally, socially, politically, in this period of redemptive history, we don't have to like do an exhaustive survey here, but we gotta kinda set the tone and the vibe of what the Son of God is entering into. You're thinking kind of like intertestamental period? Yeah, yeah. that and just the pre-nativity story. Oh, I see, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jen, that's all you. <laughs> wow. Whoa. Okay. No, I mean, so... Hot yeah. potato. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it, Are you looking for historical, cultural context? Yes. For, yes. Okay, no, so like, you've got the Roman Empire is, is running the show, right? right. And um, so the Israelites, Israel, um, the Jews, are in submission to Rome at this mm-hmm. time. It's basically a foreign occupation, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. And after a series of foreign occupations. Right. The Persian occupation. Right. The Babylon. Greek uh, uh, occupation, and mm-hmm. then Roman, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after, and that's after, like also hundreds of years of exile and oppression. Yeah, so, so like, there's this whole tension that's built and you would imagine is sustained during the intertestamental period where we don't hear anything, right. but everyone is waiting, uh, that there will be a king who is going to deliver them from oppression now, when you said in intertest- a particular way. When you said intertestamental, what, what do you mean? The period of time of silence right. that occurs between the writings of the Old Testament and the writings of the New Testament. Right. Because some listeners might not know that. Uh, so when you kind of end, conclude the Old Testament, I know there's like one page in your Bible mm-hmm. probably between the Old and the New Testament. If you're listening to it, it may just skip right into it. Uh, but there's 400 years. Right of silence and violence. Mm. Oh yeah, extreme violence. Yeah, because um, uh, the Jewish community is trying to figure out what does it mean to live under oppression again. Hashtag the Maccabees. Right. <laughs> Maccabees. Is that a friend's it's reference? A friend's wow. Reference. I just want to see when he picked that up. Yeah, deep <laughs> yeah. cut. Yeah. I love it. With more than I love that episode. <laughs> We're watching so the Christmas episodes of like all of our favorites. Is that the, the Maccabee armadillo? The armadillo. Yeah. I was going to say Christmas aardvark. armadillo. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I've always wished that I could hear the whole story. Under the Hanukkah armadillo. <laughs> I don't know what he says, but it's pretty great. Um, well, uh, so th- during this intertestamental period, 400 years of silence, but there's also extreme violence. And, uh, and then we, we, we get to the story, the actual coming of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, and he's entering in, in, in this time in which what's going on. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of Jewish communities that are kind of trying to answer this question differently. So you've got some people who are kind of participating in Roman culture almost in this way that feels like, uh, I mean, we would call it assimilation. Mm -hmm. And then you've got other other Jewish communities like the Essenes Mm -hmm. who are pulling themselves out of the Jewish community. And there's this massive question on how do you be faithful in the midst of waiting? Do you remove yourself from culture? Do you participate (laughs) in the culture? Do you try to make change through culture? It's really not that different from what we're trying to answer the question today. How do you Mm -hmm. be faithful in the midst of waiting for Christ? And how do you have a faithful witness for the gospel of the kingdom in the midst of foreign occupation and exile? Right. Right. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And what you just said, I think, is key to the value of considering that intertestamental period is that the time that we live in now, it, it probably feels a lot more like the intertestamental period. And I don't mean like the time that we are living in now, like 2018. I mean like the time uh, that we live in now being the time from which Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father yeah. and the time in which he will return yeah. from the right hand of the Father. At that time, is just a longer version of the intertestamental I th- period. I think you're exactly right. So I'm actually preaching our first week of Advent. I'll have already preached it by the time people listen to this. But one of the things I've been trying to think through, and one of the things that we've experienced in the training program, kind of a big aha moment for people, is trying to convince them that they're living uh, more in exile than they are in the kingdom. Right. Right. Like mm-hmm. it's kind of this this boom moment for people when they realize, 
oh, wait a minute, I'm more like Daniel in Babylon than I am David in Jerusalem. Which is hard for people in the suburbs to even, like the like, imagination yes. gap there is vast. Well, and I think, yeah, I think this is a growing realization as we, like, we're, I, I feel like a lot of Christians are shocked to find themselves articulating minority positions still. Right. You know, they just, they're still expecting that when when they speak truth, everyone's going to be like, oh, I can hear the truth in that, even if I don't agree with you. And um, so I, I actually, it is interesting to think of the similarities between how the Jewish people were feeling and what they were experiencing during this time period. And I, you know, I grew up during the moral majority years of the United States. And I don't think that there was a longing for the second coming Mm -hmm. the way that there probably is and will continue to be among the people of God as we move into this new phase of things in in our country and elsewhere. I mean, other other places are already there. Um, So I think it's it's a significant thing to reflect on, particularly during Advent. I agree. How do I I think about waiting um, as, as as a part of the chosen people of God? in a time where um, my my views are, my beliefs are the minority report. Yeah. No, I think that's so, you, Both what you, both of you guys have hit on here is so pivotal uh, and it's, it's challenging me because I think uh, when we consider the entrance of the Son of God into the world in the incarnation, which we're about to talk about specifically, that doctrine of the incarnation, um, it's easy for us to, uh, because it's such a immediately beautiful idea to the Christian, mm-hmm. it's hard for us to realize the confrontation um, that the incarnation is to the world mm-hmm. at present, like when it actually happened, and still to this day. Like the sense of, yes, the, the Son of God comes into the world full of grace and truth, but it confronts all of the world's notions of power, of authority, yes. uh, and is inverting all of that. And so aiming towards the incarnation, what does that word actually mean? We say it all the time, but what does it actually mean? What are we talking about when we're talking about the incarnation? Yeah, it just means, uh, so we're talking about specifically one person of the Trinity becoming incarnate. God himself does not become incarnate, but the Son, who is in eternal relationship with God the Father and is of this exact same essence of the Father, becomes incarnate, and that means he became enfleshed. He puts upon and takes upon himself entirely a human nature, not just flesh. It's not like he just wraps himself uh, with with like skin. Mm-hmm. He does that, but he takes upon all of our humanity except our sin. Yeah. So knowing faith listeners will, when they hear this, immediately go, okay, we're talking about the Trinity again. I can't, I can't help. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, but it's right. Like, uh, oh, this is what I tell people all the time is that like, if you're going to talk meaningfully about anything related mm-hmm. to, to God, you're going to have to start there. Yeah. yeah. So what you just said was this is one person of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we're, we're, it's the Son of God mm-hmm. who exists in eternal relationship with the Father. That's right. And the incarnation is him entering into the world and what? What's happening in the incarnation? Uh, so we would certainly say revelation. Right. And so Colossians 1, Hebrews chapter 1, mm-hmm. tell us that he is the image or the icon, icon or the picture. Yeah. And, and I love the way... Uh, some theologians have said it. He's the face of God. Like mm-hmm. he, he is the one. We look to him and we can say God is like this. Yep. God is as Jesus does. Uh, but he also is accomplishing something. He's not just showing us something. He's accomplishing something specifically. He's accomplishing redemption, sa- uh, salvation, sanctification on our behalf so that we might be reconciled to the Father. Right. That's good. So uh, when we talk about the Son of God in the incarnation, one of the things that I often find is tricky is that it's easy for us to... Uh, 
kind of assume uh, that the biggest thing that's happening in the incarnation is that God is coming into the world, right? Uh, and that he's taking on flesh. But it's easy for us to confuse that there is, uh, that the Son of God is not losing anything. Right. Okay, so talk. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the Son of God enters into the world in the incarnation. Does he surrender his lordship? Over the whole of the world, there's I mean, there's a serious uh, in in theology debate over this concept, right? And so people, you don't need to know this term, but you might want to know it for for the sake of fun Advent parties, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> our fun Advent yeah. party. <laughs> if you if you come and drop this at our Advent party, you are instantly in with the million <laughs> So Philippians chapter two has this idea of Christ uh, kind of relinquishing something or giving something up, and the term that's used in the text is kenosis, mm-hmm. that he uh, gives over, or gives up his divine rights. And there's debate over it. what is he giving up? Is he giving over rights? Is he giving up his divine nature? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would say or- Orthodox Christology would, would want to deny kind of any notion of kenosis because it requires, like our salvation must be accomplished by God. Right. Mm-hmm. If the Son of God in any way ceases to be God in the incarnation, Salvation is not accomplished on our behalf. Because the son can't save what the son doesn't assume. That's exactly right. right. Yeah. And, and uh, in terms of our understanding of atonement, uh, he can't absorb God's infinite wrath right. on our behalf. Mm-hmm. Only a God-man could do this. Right. And so the, he, he had to be fully God and fully man in order to accomplish our salvation. And so any kind of theology, and again, you don't need to know that term, You don't need, but, but we have to say that Jesus maintains all, all of his divinity, or the son maintains all of his divinity, even in the incarnation. Right. So, so like, it's not that he is, he's not giving up anything. Nothing. He's here's assuming. A, here's a crazy energy. one. He's not even giving up his omnipresence. Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life Study Bibles for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bibles for Men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. Access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at CourageForLifeBible.com. That's CourageForLifeBible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. The CSB Life Council Bible provides biblical counsel and practical wisdom for pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, parents, couples, and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of God's Word. It includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected Christian counselors and scholars. Visit CSBLifeCouncilBible.com to get your copy today. Visit CSBLifeCouncilBible.com to get your your copy today. Okay. I think a listener, <laughs> when they hear that, is going to go, well, hold on, but he's also the baby in Mary's womb. That's right. He is. Okay, but how? So there's a... I mean, we're throwing all these theology terms out. I don't mean to be a theology nerd, but I guess I kind of am. I should just... Should I, should you I just do actually that? mean to be that. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's kind of your job. Okay. <laughs> Pretty much we hired you to be that, yeah. so... So, uh, 
in in the Reformation, there because there's a debate over this between Luther and Calvin. Right. It's called the Extra Calvinisticum, <laughs> which you don't need to know. But if you do, yeah. you're in with us. Sounds like something you order at like a restaurant. Well, originally, I'll have extra Calvinisticum. Originally, <laughs> Luther used it as a as a like a like a slight against Calvin, oh. like he was making fun of him. Like Calvin's Extra mm. was the idea. Oh, he's like, hey, we, <laughs> hey that, there's another podcast name there, I think. Right, Calvin's Cal- Extra. Calvin's Extra. <laughs> I like that or something. Like a, another show or an episode? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's let's tag that for yeah. another show. That's copyright. <laughs> I just mailed it to myself. <laughs> Calvin's Extra. It sounds Extra. like a sandwich. It sounds like a reformed dating website. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, welcome to Calvin's Extra. We, you know, link up reformed men and women with other reformed men and women. So okay. Calvin, Calvin, and what is really important to remember is Calvin is not saying anything new. This is something that Athanasius said. This is something that the early church creeds and councils said, <coughs> that the son maintains his omnipresence and is not hedged in in any way by his body. So here's how Athanasius would say it. He says, the word was not hedged in by his body, nor did his presence in the body prevent his being present elsewhere as well. When he moved his body, he did not cease also to direct the universe by his mind and might. Isn't that incredible? That's pretty great. It is incredible. And it, it, but, but it gets to something that you, when you and I talk about in training program uh, or in learning environments, the thing that you and I have gotten the most pushback on from classes, mm-hmm. and I know that you know this feeling, is that when we've come in and we've said, uh, the Son of God is eternal, but Jesus Christ is not. Right. Okay. Now, when, when people hear that, they lose their mind. Right. Because we typically are using those two terms interchangeably. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Like we're... But when we say Jesus Christ, the Lord, like the one person, we could say, yeah, he's eternal because we're talking about the one who is both God and man. But when we're talking about the The human human nature, nature, Mm -hmm. he was not alive in the intertestamental period. Right. Or at any time before his incarnation. Well, and we really do have a ton of linguistic confusion around this. This is actually one of my hobby horses, and I'm going to try to keep it to a minimum time frame here. Take us there. But um, if you think about the way that we speak about the Son... We most commonly call him Jesus. We right. say, you know, but we like to say Jesus. That's kind of the way we say it in our mind. Y'all, Jesus. <laughs> uh, but um, but the name Jesus is is the name that it refers to the incarnation. It, mm, it's right. it's and and if you look at the way that the Bible uses that name, um, it's used in the Gospels uh, by itself to refer to him in his humanity. You know, to, right. to what's happened to the historic person, uh, and then in the epistles and the rest of the New Testament writings, it is almost exclusively used in conjunction with the term Christ right. or the Lord Jesus Christ yes. or or um, some, something like this. He's rarely, he's only referred to just as Jesus right. when they're trying to place him in a, in a historical setting. And so we refer to him as Jesus all the time. Yes. And so people, when they talk about, you know, who was present in, in Genesis at, 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 the, at the creation, right. we would say, well, Jesus, mm-hmm. but really you would want to say the son. The son. And so a lot of our <clears throat> confusion around the eternality or lack of eternality and how all this works has to do with just the way that we use language. And, and I would say we do not use language the way that the Bible uses language oh, about sure. about him. Well, cue our last podcast yeah. on the Seity, uh and Providence, right? When we were talking through that. And so oh, was, which, P.S., it was Foghorn Leghorn. We got all the emails. You know who else it was? It's Michael Klump from The Office. <laughs> Wait, are you serious? I say, I say, I say, oh I sit on you. That's who I was trying to think of, and I couldn't. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I got home. 
Man. And my husband's mm. like, I cannot believe after all the time you spent watching Looney Tunes that you said Yosemite Sam wow. instead of Foghorn Leghorn. And I have caught more yeah, pushback we, on that. Oh yeah, we so got a lot of We know we got, we got emails. Thank you. I was trying to think of Michael Klump. I was like, There's somebody else. <laughs> I couldn't think of it. He, he walks in. I say, I say, I yeah. sit on <laughs> I do, remember. Uh, I do remember. You were making a really great point when yeah. I derailed. No, 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 you there. I'm, and I'm glad we did because <laughs> honestly, we should move forward. But all I was going to say was that uh, that it's it's easy for us to take what was true about the what is what is true about the divine nature of the sun. Yeah. Some of these incommunicable attributes and immediately fold them in to talking about Jesus as mm-hmm. the possessor mm-hmm. of these things uh-huh. prior to the incarnation. And again, we like we understand when somebody comes up to me and is like, you know, well Jesus was there from the beginning. I know what they mean. Right. I don't typically sure. I don't sure, typically, sure, sure. I don't typically go <sighs> Yeah, you know, scoff Somebody and like, didn't read you know, the incarnation. Like, you know, pop yeah. my collar or something and you know, walk off. But I, but I, uh, but what I often want to tell them is like, yes, the Son of God was there. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. This is the Son of God who would one day assume human nature. The the reason I think that's important is we miss the extreme promise fulfillment tension right. if we immediately go back and read the whole thing and go like, well, yeah, but it was Jesus. It was like, yes, but in the flow of redemptive history, that's not yet been made clear. Mm-hmm. It unintentionally mm-hmm. thins it the, the storyline of the Bible. That's the right way to say it. That's really well said, JT. Hey, it I is. got one. You got more than one, man. Um, was the incarnation a surprise? It feels like, like when we tell the story now, I feel like in, uh, you know, in our tradition, when we tell the story, we're like, well, look at all these obvious prophecies mm-hmm. about Jesus. How were, how did they miss it all? We were talking about this at lunch yesterday. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jen and I were. So what did y'all come up with? Uh, I'm not even sure I can, I'll say it. I'll say okay. Because I'm, I'm preaching this week in Advent. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I was like. What passage? Because there's there's just some freedom and flexibility of like, okay, so the way the village is going to work through Advent this year is thinking through kind of groups of people and how they would have experienced the coming of Christ. So we're going to do prophets, angels, and shepherds. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I have prophets. And I had this like weird instinct that like I didn't want to go to the traditional like Isaiah 9 Mm -hmm. uh, passage of like... Uh, everyone knows the Isaiah, Isaiah 9 passage, right? Like it is the Advent passage. And it's like, well, how did they not see that mm-hmm. this promised one was coming? Didn't they, did they not read Isaiah 9? And and part of me like felt bad about that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like these passages are picked for the very reason we're talking about here. Right. These are prophecies about the one who is coming. But I think sometimes when we just go to these kind of proof text passages real easily and simply, we we actually fail to see like the the texture of what's going on behind these passages, if that makes sense. Almost like, I'm, this is probably wrong. This is JT stepping away from his Bible and just with friends, totally subjective. I don't know that they sh- that they could have expected it's so wonderful mm-hmm. and so mysterious and so beautiful that it's like one of those things that hindsight's twenty twenty. For sure. Well, I, here, you know, this is where our current view of prophecy is wackadoodle sometimes mm-hmm. because we think that, uh, for example, the way Revelation is treated, you know, I should be able to read this and know what's coming right. is the way that we, and, and really the, the... That's what I'm trying to get at. The main purpose of prophecy <laughs> is how beautiful it is in hindsight to Mm -hmm. see that God does exactly what he says he will do. But to say that when Daniel had his visions, he understood exactly what they meant. 
is not. That's kind of what I'm trying to say. Well, I think, and you even, you see Peter say in 1 Peter, he says, these are the things that the prophets inquired and studied. They dug, they wanted to know, but he doesn't say that they did know. And then it says that even the angels long to look into these Mm -hmm. things. And so to say that because this body of prophecy existed, these people should have seen what was coming. And I think there were some, uh, I, I, like, you know, we're talking yesterday at lunch. I think Anna demonstrates that on, in hindsight, she recognized exactly who this was. She had waited and, and, and watched. She probably didn't know exactly what she was waiting and watching for. And so, and, and you know, the same with Simeon. And uh, so it's not that there isn't recognition, that there's a connection to the prophecies, but to say that they should have just been saying, oh, it must be about time for, some, for a baby to be born in Bethlehem. Right. Is is ridiculous. Yeah. No, absolutely. Unfair. And, no, it is. And um yes, to both of those things. And to realize that uh it's clear from the New Testament and even what the prophets were saying with it, God kind of blinded them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um so there's like a whole other thing that's operating over like kind of outside and above the story, so to speak, which is God saying, like, hey, until I give you eyes to see, you're just not gonna see it. Mm-hmm. This is true even of the disciples. Who are walking with Jesus? Yeah. Even it's when they just, think they see it, exactly. He's like, guys, right? Come on, <laughs> right? But also, I mean, let's back it all the way up to to Genesis. You know, uh, where you have the prophet, the initial, the the Evangelion, the, right. the 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 original gospel, mm-hmm. OG gospel, is right. given, <laughs> and um, in Genesis three, right after the fall, and and it's prophesied that there will be one who comes and crushes the serpent's head and come through the woman, and um, when Eve gives birth to Cain, she names in the sense of his name is here he is, right? So she thinks in Genesis three that the deliverer has come. And and so now think how how much waiting there was really from from the tension that's built all the way back in 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 the garden mm-hmm. all the way up until this point that you would have thought is this the one is this the one is this the one is this the one and and, and that's what the genealogies are doing right they they're building that tension of is this the deliverer and all of these Old Testament narratives where we see sort of a hero figure emerge and then find out that he's deeply flawed or she's deeply flawed. And then we get to the finally it's a baby in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Yep. I like the term tension kind of juxtaposed against the thin narrative Mm -hmm. is we should allow the Bible to develop itself progressively over redemptive history. And we shouldn't be too quick to unravel the tension. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've, we, uh, I mean, I, I, I hate to keep coming back to examples, but in the way that we've done this in the training program in the past is that the last lecture of the mm-hmm. year is a lecture that's on essentially the coming of Jesus, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and this messianic promise. And we sing some songs, but we, we're not like, and Jesus. Yeah, no, we, we actually end them in exile. Right. It's like, here's what it's like to live in exile. Right, like Merry, Merry Christmas. Merry, let's sing "O Come, O Come, Emmanuel." Super fun. Yeah, we yeah. have a, we have a <clears throat> yeah. Everyone loves us there. <laughs> it's great. But like, that's what we're living right now. Right. Yeah. This is the whole point of Advent. Right, is, is to the, pull us into is that. to pull us into this deep longing and expectation, and we begin to understand. Here's why Jesus taught us to pray this way: yep. Your kingdom come, yes. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. That is the prayer of Advent. Yeah, because we because we really don't want, and we never feel it more than in the season of Advent. We really don't want Advent. We really want Christmas. That's right. Right. I mean, it's really what we want. Mm-hmm. We don't want the waiting. Mm-hmm. We don't want the longing. We don't want the tension of expectation, and we do not want 
to have to deal with the, the brokenness in our lives and the brokenness of the world. Mm-hmm. We, want, we want a day that says mm-hmm. it's all forgotten. Mm-hmm. And now that day is coming, but it's just not here yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we want a Black Friday deal with with 24-hour shipping. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I, I've written about this and thought about this a lot, just how how opposed we are as a human race to waiting for anything. And we see a wait time as an enemy. It's something to be mitigated, to Mm -hmm. be done away with. And um, this is something like, you know, I asked if you guys had grown up with Advent. I grew up with it, at Mm -hmm. least in my earlier years in church. And I remember it drove me crazy that we could only light one candle a week. I just wanted to like burn the whole thing. You know, it's like, let's light them. Why would you have these candles? And this one candle is getting shorter than these other candles. And that drove me crazy. And, uh, and, and waiting was, was built into that. It was a teaching tool for children Mm -hmm. to learn delayed gratification and not just children, but adults as well. And this whole idea of delayed gratification has become just a foreign thing Mm -hmm. um, to us. And so we, you know, we actually think if we have to wait in a restaurant with our children, we need to fill that wait time with something. something or if we, and, and we spend all of our time looking for ways to diminish wait times rather than say, what might I learn yep. from this? And that, and, and, and for Christians in particular to be skilled at waiting is part of the job description. Yep. We so are a people of delayed gratification. That is the message of Advent. I'm taking and, notes for my sermon. And we wait. We're waiting now for that second. Re- and, and you think about like the incarnate. The thing that fascinates me too about the the birth of of Christ is how localized it was, right? right? So you get this very local thing that happens with a small uh, group of onlookers. Yep. But when you think about the second coming, it says all the world will see him right. and mourn. Mm. Yep. So it will be it will be universally acknowledged right. the, the next time he comes. And that's what we're waiting for now. So we waited for this relatively small announcement, which was going to have a huge ripple effect. But now we're in a waiting period for an undeniable cosmic cosmic revelation of the Christ. Yeah. What are some ways that you guys, like in pra- like practical terms, build patience, waiting, delayed gratification in yeah. Advent? In Advent, so maybe maybe personally, but also then, like as you think about this as a pastor of Mosaic Church, yeah. how do you build this corporately into people? Yeah, so um, a few <clears throat> things that we we've done. So we started our Advent series a week early, and the reason we did that because you didn't want to wait. Well, <laughs> <laughs> bam, um, uh, burn with your own burn. Um, but uh, yeah, so we did it because I often find that when when you start it right when it starts, our people are not prepared for that. Yeah. Like it's a shift. You have to shift into this gear. Mm-hmm. So, so we, we want to take an extra week here to prepare us mm. to actually enter into Advent. Some of the ways that we've done that is, uh, you know, we are doing candlelit. Our services are lower light mm-hmm. than we typically have. Uh, there are there are different scripture readings. Those scripture readings are from either the prophets in expectation of the first Advent or uh some of our scripture readings for Advent season are in the New Testament pointing towards the second coming mm-hmm. um, to help our people see that the expectation that Israel f- we, uh, felt for the first, uh, we now feel for the second coming. Mm-hmm. And then, um, of course, we're, we're, we're preaching through it. But then some things that we're doing in our home is we're also lighting a candle uh, with Lydia w- once a week. Lydia's my daughter. Um, my wife and I are lighting a candle. We're reading a part of the story. Uh, but then other things is that we, uh, uh, during this time, we are not doing, uh, I'm not doing screens on Friday. 
Like, and I know that may seem like... So you're a, looking for ways to fast. Yeah, I'm looking to, for ways mm-hmm. essentially to like pull back. So Friday's mm-hmm. a day that I take off. So I'm not... I typically, if I was going to have a lot of screen time, it typically falls on Friday. So I'm like, okay, we're not going to do screens on Friday because I want to feel that sense of like, man, okay, there's something missing mm-hmm. here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to be able to try to pull myself out of just the noise. So that's just a couple of simple things. I think... So there, during Advent, I don't know that I've picked up anything new, although now I'm thinking that maybe I probably should. But I would say generally I'm looking for ways to wait. So I, I've really been questioning some of my practices around things like Amazon Prime mm-hmm. or, I mean, and I'm not, I am not mandating a rule for anyone. I'm no, saying yeah, for yeah. me personally, sure. these are some things that I've had to start thinking about is like, what are the weight diminishers that I like the best, right. you know? And this is one of the things like, even with what we're trying to do in, in our learning environments is we're trying to train people into waiting for uh, an idea to sink in or waiting for knowledge to to, to hit us the way that it's supposed to um, versus just Googling it, you know, mm-hmm. like, or, or reading what someone said about right. what we're trying to, you know, try, going to the quick fix to get the information that we want. So I think about it a ton in terms of learning processes and how if I don't wait and feel the extent of my ignorance around something, then I won't crave, I won't long for the resolution of that in a way that's going to make it stick. And I think about it a lot uh, with just, again, with regard to to parenting because, you know, we want to train our kids to wait on some really important things. We want them to wait until marriage to to have sex. We want that. There are a lot of weights that we can look at and acknowledge as really healthy things. Um, And so then I have to ask, what are the rhythms that I've put in place just in our day-to-day lives that are showing them in smaller ways how to wait? And and here's, here's the truth, right? When life blows up, and you have a circumstance that comes your way, you are forced to learn to wait. And the question will be, what have you done in the time leading up to that that's that's helped prepare you mm-hmm. for that? Like what smaller weights have you um, placed yourself in so that when this waiting comes and you have no control over the outcome, well, you know, JT, you guys have been in the middle of a big wait mm-hmm. and are going to be for some time. Yeah. Uh, and and we can we can either be you're never prepared right for sure. the for the big things but I heard I heard but but you can be more prepared mm-hmm. you can be better prepared and I've heard I remember reading um, something about the the coming of the Lord and the significance mm-hmm. of these these comings these arrivals and how any time we enter into a season of crisis it is a form of a coming of the Lord it is mm-hmm. the crisis moment is it's it's almost like a rehearsal mm-hmm. yeah. for the great and glorious day of the Lord that's mm-hmm. right. So, um, hmm. yeah, but I think just thinking through where are the places where each of us is most tempted to say, man, I don't want to wait there. Mm-hmm. And then asking, well, what if I did? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I won't, I don't, we need to keep talking about practices, but as I was, as you were both talking, I was just thinking about this idea of this is so opposed to every instinct that yeah. I have and that our culture has. Mm-hmm. And even that we have in kind of evangelicalism, I've, we hear this language all the time. And I think Advent is a rebuke against this language of, we're going to build the kingdom or we're going to bring mm-hmm. the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Comfort the, the, now. The only thing we really can do is wait and receive. Mm-hmm. Yep. That is the entirety of the Christian life, waiting for God to move and for God to act mm-hmm. and to receive his work on our behalf. Yeah, no, You're absolutely right. And Advent pulls us into that. Mm-hmm. And the incarnation is the great hope. 
right? That's right. And the second coming for us as believers. Listen, we've, um, uh, we have covered topics adjacent to this in the past. And so if you were like, man, I'd like to hear more about the incarnation and Christology, the doctrine of Christ. We did an episode yeah. uh, last spring on Christology, which you might find helpful. And then if you want to hear more about the actual like nativity story, mm-hmm. we did one that some people did not care for <laughs> on <laughs> blowing up the traditional birth story of Jesus. Oh, yeah. uh, and well, so, thanks for pointing people to yeah, just email Kyle. Kyle. Yeah, if you go, have any go listen to that. Listen, that. if there's anything you heard us talk about Kay on the show that you'd like to know. Church.com. <laughs> I cannot believe you just did that. Woe is me. Um, for more information, you can look into the show notes in the podcast description. We'd be honored for you to leave us a podcast review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us online at trainingthechurch.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Knowing Faith. On our next episode, it will be Q&A. And so that'll be exciting. We'll be joined by Mason King. It'll be fun time. See you next time. Grace and peace.